Welcome to the Peak Performance Greatness Show. I'm Christopher Dedian, founder and CEO of Dedian Enterprises, Inc. We are committed to optimize people's performance with tools such as peak performance speaking, coaching, and consulting programs for a worldwide international community. We believe that the only difference between where you are and where you want to be is acquiring the knowledge you need and consistently utilizing that knowledge to become a peak performing individual in every area of your life. Stick around until the end of the show where we will reveal how you can become the next guest on the fastest growing inspirational educational podcast on the planet in 20 to 30 minutes. Let's go. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Peak Performance Greatness Show. I am your host, Christopher Dedian, and I am so excited to have today Nancy Shanker, which she is a brand marketer, innovator, content strategist, and creator, as well as being the founder and CEO of the On Switch. Nancy, thank you very much for being on the show. Well, thank you, Chris, for having me as a guest. I am so excited to dive in deep and talk about marketing as that is your expertise. Before we started the podcast, you were talking and I'm like, wait a minute, Nancy, let's stop this. You're saying so many great things that should be on the podcast. But before jumping into all of that, can you please give us a bit more detail of who you are? You could go a bit more depth in your presentation as I did a little short one over there, but give the audience a a bit of insight of who you are, Nancy. Absolutely. So I am... Worked in corporate marketing for the first part of my career. I was in marketing at big brands like Citibank and MasterCard. And then I was the head of marketing for Reed Exhibitions, the company that now produces Comic-Con. About 18 years ago, it'll be 18 years ago in September, I was really itching to do my own thing. So at the tender age of 48, I jumped ship. I jokingly call myself a corporate refugee, and I started my own marketing consulting company, functioning as a fractional CMO to small and mid-sized businesses. And then as the tech boom really boomed big time, I started doing a lot of work with technology companies. When I was at Citibank, I was involved in the early stages, Citibank and MasterCard, the early stages of digital money. So I talk about the fact that I was in fintech before there even was fintech. So in addition to my marketing company, I also have a business called New New Ventures, and I'm a writer and professional speaker. I write for Forbes. I write for the Rolling Stone Culture Council, and I have my own uh, column on Thrive Global called The Silver Hair Playbook, How to Be a Badass After 50. Okay. Okay. So many great things that I want to unpack. And I know that our audience here is very entrepreneurial and A lot of times before being an entrepreneur, you probably have a job and you're hesitating towards to be an entrepreneur. Is it the right time? And to take that leap is a scary leap for many people. And entrepreneurs have that story impact just from the get, right? And you just said from the tender age, and I love the way you use that word, at 48, you decided to leave that corporate background, that corporate security and start your own business. Can you talk to us about your thought pattern at that point, some of the great things and some of the difficulties as well, because doing it at that age uh, can be perceived as like, hey, I'm kind of on the tail end of the nine hole of my career, let's call it. And why did you decide to do that? What were the challenges? And obviously it's extremely successful, but let's talk about that a bit. Unpack that for me. 
Yeah, actually, um, it's a misconception that most successful startups are started by younger people. The average age of the successful entrepreneur is actually 45. So starting my business at a later age, I did come at it with a lot of experience and a lot of maturity that made me more attractive to clients and more credible as I went out to sell my wares, as it were. And because I had made so many connections throughout my corporate career, it was probably easier for me to bring on clients um, in the early days than somebody who was starting from scratch. What I didn't realize about entrepreneurship, and I think the media does a lot to glamorize the life of an entrepreneur or a founder, you do end up really sweating the details. And I made every rookie mistake imaginable um, when I first started my business. And it really culminated in 2008, 2009, during the recession of my entire business imploding and my having to start all over again a couple of years later, scaling the business back up. So I think failure is a necessary part of entrepreneurship. I think you have to have um, the right people around you. I actually am now teaching a workshop about finding your inner superhero. And a big part of that is forming the Justice League around you, the talent that's going to help you get to the next level. So I feel somewhat blessed because I did just re relaunch my company in April of this year with a new team. And I feel like it's an opportunity to do everything that I did wrong the first time right this time around. Okay. Once again, so many things to unpack there. Uh, let's go in twofold. First and foremost, I did not know that the average uh, CEO or the average entrepreneur that makes is at around 45 years old. So I want to unpack that as well as the latter end of why did you actually uh, decide to rebrand yourself? And did you rebrand yourself within the same lane, within the same industry, or it's something completely different? And if so, if you're in the same industry, why? So let's start off with the first part, which is why do you think that there is a misconception that there's younger entrepreneurs that succeed? Is it the social platforms? Is it the TikToks of this world, the Instagrams and so on and so forth? Yeah, and a lot of the new businesses being started are tech-based businesses. Mm -hmm. So they are by and large being started it used to be being started by younger people, but what you are finding now, a lot of people in their 30s and 40s who may have worked for SaaS companies or may have a background in tech uh, coming up with a new product idea. And again, because of some of the things I mentioned earlier, having a network, having access to capital, having resilience and willingness to fail. Um, I think a lot of those things factor into being more successful um, as you age rather than doing it right out of school. But that said, I think there are successful entrepreneurs of all ages, um, successful entrepreneurs, and a lot depends on how you define success. I was just having this, this conversation with somebody yesterday. The fact that I'm still standing after 18 years is a testament to success. Um, my brand has been my brand from the very beginning. It's the name of the company is the on switch electricity and lighting are ubiquitous and timeless. I did change my tagline. My original tagline was powerful marketing, which was a very sort of 1980s moniker. And now my tagline is bright and timeless marketing, which is a tagline that I think can live forever because being bright 
and being timeless is really never going to go out of style. I love that. Okay. So hundred percent, I agree with you. And it makes perfect sense. The older you are, the more connections you have, the more access you have to capital and just in general, you have more life experience. So that aspect is more valuable to start a business with your expertise. So I 100% agree with you. And that's very interesting that you brought that up. And when it comes to rebranding, what I understand what you did is essentially you just uh, restructured it, like you said, took it out of from like the 90s uh, style to uh, bright and timeless marketing, which makes perfect sense. And let's dive into the marketing side of things because I'm, I, I, I love marketing. And as an entrepreneur, there's two sides of business. There's the salespeople and then there's the marketing people. I feel like business is really split in two. And then there's this kind of clash of like, no, sales is more important. No, marketing is more important. Both are important. Now, in your position, what do you think is the most important thing for a startup entrepreneur? Should they lean on their sales aspect? Should they lean on marketing? Should it be both? I, I think it's both. I think they are so totally connected. I think that the most important thing a new founder could do is really understand at a deep and granular level what their brand is and why it's unique and who their target market is for that product or service, which you could say is traditional marketing, is having something that is compelling to sell, knowing who you're going to sell it to, and then having your visuals and your messaging so tightly locked that anybody at your company should be able to articulate very quickly what your point of brand differentiation is. I love that. So we're talking about the mission and vision here. It should be very clear. It should be very uh, pronounced. So then when people see it, they, they, it is obvious. And I love the fact that you highlight that they're both important, really depends upon where you are within your journey, within your business in the beginning, middle, whatever the case is. And Nancy, tell me now marketing is kind of a fickle thing, I believe, because right now there's a lot of opportunity for people to market, but that creates a lot of noise in the marketplace. So how do you Absolutely. stand out? How do you stand um, out? Well, the first thing you need to do is really understand, well, first of all, understand who your target market is, understand their pain points, and then spend your money on the media that is going to reach that segment of the market. Instagram is not the solution to everything. Mm -hmm. uh, you might be marketing a product where old school snail mail is the best way to reach your target market and would certainly make you stand out because not a lot of companies are even using it anymore. Um, having, as I said earlier, having that fine-tuned brand message be so compelling and so unique that when people get your stuff, and it's also really seeing the world through the eyes of your buyer is they need to be able to look at it and say, why do I want this? What's in it for me? Um, it's a you positioning as opposed to a we positioning. And I still get sales calls, emails from companies telling me why they are so great. And as a buyer, my reaction is always, well, I don't really care. What is it going to do for me? How's it going to make my life easier? How's it going to help me make more money? So it's really, in some ways, going back to marketing 101, the basics of marketing, no matter what it is that you're actually marketing or selling. And yes, you're right. There are so many more 
options for media today and the airwaves have gotten very, very cluttered. Um, but it's finding that fit between your message, your target market, your media and consistency. Okay. That is very interesting. So essentially, like you said, understand target market, understanding what medium is the best fit for you. And as well, it's being aware of like, essentially the copyright of how you're wording certain things and intrinsically making it highly valuable for your customer. So it's not about, like you said, you're the best in this, that, and the other. No, no. What value are you bringing? How are you changing this person's life? How are they going to care? And be willing to accept and embrace outside counsel um, and to not cut corners. And I realize a lot of new founders may not have a ton of money to play with, but you know they'll do things sometimes like they'll buy a logo off of one of the big wholesale logo companies mm-hmm. and they're, they're buying something that doesn't make them stand out in a cluttered market. So it's also knowing what a good long-term marketing investment is. My logo hasn't changed in 18 years. Um, so buying things that are not going to be obsolete or fungible in a very short period of time. Nancy, I love that you mentioned that, but it is difficult, especially as a solopreneur, when you start off to figure out, hey, what logo am I going to pick that's going to follow me for X amount of years and have that understanding? Because there's a lot of like subconscious links with the colors, with the fonts, with this and that. And these are things that like starting entrepreneurs don't think about it and entrepreneurs don't think about as well. And it's like a lot of ideologies that have to come about later. Once you start hiring experts such as yourself, it comes into play and you're like, Hey, change this, do this, do that. That might uh, attract certain clientele. So is there a way to approach it? Or is it just like, Hey, go with your gut, go with what feels good and try to figure something out in the beginning. And as you grow, you put the proper team around you a bit, like you mentioned in the beginning of the podcast. Yeah, I think the other thing that's really key, I mean, I've worked with, over the years, I've worked with some um, entrepreneurs, founders who have very big egos, and they'll say, I have no competition. But everybody has competition, that your competition may not be in your space, your competition may be the hundred other messages that person is getting through their email that day. So it's really being humble enough to say, what will make me stand out? taking all of your competitors' messages and putting them up on a wall and saying, all right, if I'm selling this product or this service, these nine other companies are selling similar products and services. How am I standing out among that sea of messages, that sea of colors? Um, We just redid the branding for one of our health and wellness clients, and their colors are teal and almost like a fuchsia pink. You don't see those colors being used very often in the health space, but that is one way they'll be differentiating themselves from other medical practices. So I've always been a little bit of a renegade. I really do believe in being just anarchistic enough to stand out in the market, but not so anarchistic that you're going to turn off the people who are buying your product. I love that. I love that. So understanding what's happening in the marketplace, com- competition or not, and then from there doing something that's going to stand out a bit more in your, it's, it's so spot on. Just the fact that the color can play a role just because like you said, out of everybody scrolling down through that, if that one pops out a bit more with those flashy colors, like you said, uh, can be more attracting. And Nancy, please tell me with the industry of marketing, what is your favorite thing about the marketing industry? And what is your least favorite thing about the marketing industry? <laughs> 
Um, my favorite thing, and you know, here I am, you know, so many years after getting into the business and still waking up every morning excited to do my job. Mm-hmm. I love the diversity of clients. I love the challenge. I love the fact that your actions are trackable and measurable, more so now than ever before. It used to take forever to get data when you did a campaign. And now your data is almost immediate. And we have technology that will help interpret the data for you and tell you what action to take next. So those are all the things that I love about the marketing industry. In addition to the fact that we have so many more media that we could take advantage of than we did in the early days and affordable media. The thing that I don't like personally is that I'm a creative, I'm a big thinker, I'm strategic, and marketing will always be a business that is about the details. So if I could just wave a magic wand and have an AI-powered robot doing all of the tactical stuff for me, and I would just get to think great thoughts, that would be my definition of nirvana someday. 10 years from now, that will be the reality. That is interesting that you're, you're answering it like that. I love that. And let me just ask you a question. When you're talking about having something or someone or that nirvana in itself to do those little details, like you said, like the devil's in the details, essentially, can't you delegate that? Isn't it just by hiring more people or is it something that people cannot do? What are we talking about exactly? When of course, of course you could delegate it. But as a business owner, hiring comes with expense. It comes with emotions. It comes with all of the softer side of being a leader, Mm -hmm. which I enjoy. I really do. I mean, I have the best Justice League that I've built over the past three months, you know, all over the country. I I was telling you, I have somebody working for me who lives in Montreal right now. So I've been able to build a truly global team. And I do like people and I do like socializing and I do like collaborating on ideas, but the nits and grits of marketing, um, creating an email, making sure a social post is going out across all media. Those are the more tactical things that rather than paying people to do those tasks that don't really require a lot of brain power, I would love nothing more than to have an AI-powered assistant that could do 80% of those tasks. Um, And then obviously there's going to be human intervention. There's going to be human direction, but um, automation cannot come fast enough as far as I'm concerned. And even as a writer, I'm looking forward to the days when I can give a, uh, an app or a bot, a general concept of what to write and what to research. And they would come back. It would come back to me with a first draft. Yeah, if you find that bot, let me know. I'll buy into it as well, especially being dyslexic. That would just save me a lot of time and a lot of headaches. So I definitely am on the same page as you. Oh, it's coming. I mean, you know, 10 years ago, who would have ever thought that I could talk to a little thing that sits in my apartment and tell it what to buy at the grocery store and then go to the grocery store and have that list sorted by aisle? Like when I was growing up, something like that would have been considered science fiction. And we are still just at the early, in the early days of AI, machine learning, and robotics. So it's an era that I'm very much looking forward to. You're 100% right. If you think about it, it's so crazy. We're, we, we're in this world of technology and the marketing linked up with it. But really, it started in 2008. 
it really wasn't that long time ago. If you talk about like the first iPhone coming out and then opening up all this application industry and so on and so forth, that kind of went with it. So we are in the early stages of it. Definitely looking forward to seeing how that's going to develop. Although we've been thinking about it for a long time. I wrote a book called Embrace the Machine. And in the last chapter of the book is some fun things to read about AI and machine learning and robotics. And there's a great um, 1960s Star Trek episode where Captain Kirk is being replaced by a computer. <laughs> um, and so we've been thinking about this for a long time. I think we've been afraid of it as opposed to saying, how much time will this ultimately free up for humans to do what they do best, which is to create, to laugh, to socialize. Mm -hmm. So as I said, I can't wait for my robotic marketing assistant to appear one day. That is amazing, Nancy. And I want to ask you, as this is the Peak Performance Greatness Show, everything that we talk about over here has to do with performance. I want to, I want to know what is your strategy of performance? What are your habits? What are your rituals? Because it's obvious that you succeed, obvious that you have a team around you, but I am sure you are the person that you are because you have great rituals and habits in place that help you out every single day. Can you talk to me about those rituals and habits and how do you go about being a peak performing individual? Uh, I do believe that you're, to some extent, you're born with it. You know, I came from a high achieving family. My father was a self-made man. He was a medical researcher and doctor. My mother was a teacher. She taught the deaf early on in her career. So I came from a family where the sky was the limit, not even. I mean, the, the entire universe was the limit. Um, and from a very early age, I was encouraged to do whatever I set my mind to do. I think working in tough companies like Citibank and MasterCard, and in many cases, being the only woman at the table, um, I was just sort of programmed to believe that failure was not an option, that there are no problems that are so complex that they don't have a solution. Um, listening to other people, I'm by no means the smartest person in my field. I read voraciously. I learn from everybody I come in contact with. Um, and when I'm having those really bad, sucky days where I feel like it can't be done, I just have really trained myself to shake it off and think about people who have it so much tougher than I do, who have gone on to do great things. I love that. Let me highlight a couple of things you just mentioned, because I think it's going to be extremely valuable for the listeners and the viewers over here. So first and foremost, you said that your experiences play a big role. So from your parents, from your family, from your job, as well as positioning yourself and being humble to always learn, learn from the people around you, learn from books, listen, and then one little cherry on top of the Sunday when you mentioned that when you have a tough day, shake it off. Tomorrow's going to be a new day. And how you do that is looking through gratitude. Sit down and look at, hey, look at everything that I have. Look at everything that I've created. Okay, this one little dip is not going to dictate who I am. Let's just be grateful for what exactly. we Exactly. And that said, you also need to be a realist and not fall so in love with your idea or with your product or with whatever you've built that if the time comes for you to shut the door, sell your business, or shut it down and walk away, that is not failure. That is learning. Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, that is a perspective that I have, I think, having been around the sun 65 years. And I've had some times in my life that were really, really challenging and really sucked. But, you know, I'm still standing. So, you know, the longer you live, the more you have that perspective that life is this bizarre life and business are this bizarre roller coaster. And you're going to have some really low lows, but then you're going to have some really high highs. How do you do the manage the lows and how do you do the manage the highs? Because it could create such a dichotomy. And like you said, you're definitely talking with somebody with a lot of wisdom and experience. Uh, uh, we say behind our tie, but in your case, uh, behind this beautiful shirt that you're wearing. So tell me, what is some of the uh, ways that you go about that? I mean, you have to have your inner circle. And when you're having those lows, you know, whether it's an advisory board or an investor or a family member or a friend, to really be willing or a mastermind group to be willing to talk to other people and admit your struggles. Mm -hmm. um, I know people are hesitant to do that. You see a lot of founders who, you know, everything is always terrific, but I know everything is not always terrific. So be willing and open to ask for help when you need it. And when you're having those really, really great moments, never get too cocky put money away for a rainy day um, and um, don't invest more than you need to invest and make sure you're spending your money on the right things. I love that. I love that. Like everything you just said, Nancy, and I'm just going to ask you two last questions. My before last one is going to bring it back to marketing. And we did mention that one of the main things, what I understood is that you have to have your target market. You have to know what your voice is and you have to go towards that before doing anything in marketing. Now, if we do a little scenario that we have our target market, we know where we're going towards, what would be like the number one thing you would suggest? And this is very like, because I'm sure it's like very customized, but what is the number one thing you would suggest somebody to do in the beginning of their career or wherever they are throughout their process when it comes to marketing? Is it online socials? Is it emails? Like, what would you think that is? Every business is really different, but regardless of the media you're using, be sure you're creating true relationships with your buyers. You know, you may have sold a thousand widgets, but you sold a thousand widgets to a thousand fickle people mm -hmm. that as soon as they get that next sales call, they'll jump ship and go to the other company. So what can you do as a company to deliver such a wow experience and build loyalty so that people want to continually do business with you. One of my favorite um, companies that I've been watching really closely is a company called Books, B-O-U-Q-S. And it's a flower shipping company. And they go out of their way to make every single customer feel as if they're the only customer that they're talking to. So I love their marketing. I track them very closely. And there are a handful of companies like that that I will always buy from because they value my business as a customer. So again, seeing the world through your customer's eyes. I love that. Seeing the world through your customer eyes, making a wow effect. And before I go to my last question, do you think that's why Apple succeeds at such a high level? Because these creating like almost this like cult type of uh, clientele that they just love the product so much and they become one of the best salespeople for the company. Is it because they have a great ideology and they- Exactly. They were among the first companies to really view their customers as a community and not just as buyers. 
Um, and that's what you really want to do as a marketer is build such a loyal group of customers that they will refer you to their friends, to their neighbors, to their colleagues, which makes your job of marketing that much easier. I love that. I love that. And Nancy, I just want to be respectful for your time here, but before letting you go, where would be the best way for our audience to contact you if they have any questions about marketing or they would like your services or any of that stuff? Where can we contact Absolutely. you? Absolutely. So my website is theonswitch.com, T-H-E-O-N-S-W-I-T-C-H. Um, it does have all of my social media handles on it. So you can certainly follow me that way. And my um, email address is Nancy S, N-A-N-C-Y-S, as in Schenker, at theonswitch.com. Nancy, thank you very much. And guys, everything will be in the show notes. So everything she mentioned, you'll get, you will be able to pick it up through there. So once again, Nancy, thank you very much for blessing us with your time, for clarifying a bit more with the marketing side of this world and how to approach it. So I hope you have a blessed and grateful day. All right. Thank you, Chris. I really appreciate it. Have a great one. Bye. Christopher Devian here. Thank you so much for listening to the Peak Performance Fitness Show. If you're a successful entrepreneur or entrepreneur who would like to be on this program, please visit our website at peakperformancegreatness.com. If you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot of your phone, text it to a friend, or post it on the socials. If you know somebody that could be a great guest, please tag them on social media to let them know about this program. And don't forget to include the hashtag Peak Performance Greatness. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We regularly put out new episodes and content. To make sure that you don't miss any episode, go ahead and click that subscribe button. Your thumbs up, rating, and review go a long way to help us promote this show, and it would mean a lot to me as well as my team. You want to know more? Go ahead and visit our website at peakperformancegreatness.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or my YouTube channel at Christopher Didia. Thank you for listening. We will see you next time. Have a blessed and grateful day. Thank you.